Built Not Born, episode 126. Hey everyone, it's Joe Chicarone. Today's guest is Michael Bowens. Michael Bowens is a certified wealth coach. He's a hedge fund manager. He's an ex-stockbroker, angel investor, serial entrepreneur who is on a mission to close the racial and gender gaps of wealth. Micah and I have a fascinating conversation about his inspirational comeback. The story begins with him in federal prison where he served three years for a multi-million dollar real estate conspiracy. But while he was in prison, he changed his mindset. He studied finance. He taught himself how to trade options, and he developed his financial education system, which he calls Rich Forever University. Micah teaches his students how to take advantage of volatility in the market and the economy to make money. It was fascinating to hear Micah's journey, some of the crazy situations he put himself in, how he recovers, comes back, and how he is a positive force in so many people's lives on getting their financial life in order and showing people how to become financially independent. Micah's goal is to create one million black millionaires by 2054. That's quite a goal. And Micah has quite a story to tell. If you like what you hear, hit that follow button or better yet, share this interview with Micah with a friend. We have a bunch of thought-provoking, cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Micah Bowens, founder of Rich Forever University. And remember, life is built, not born. Here we go. Micah Bowens, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your time. So excited to be here. Micah, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? I'm Micah Bowens. Uh, I'm from San Diego. I am an options trading junkie. Uh, and America's number one self-proclaimed wealth coach. I'm also a husband and father of five, three boys, two girls. Michael, where'd you grow up? I grew up in, in uh, Southeast San Diego, California, 619. So look, all my guys watching and listening to this. Navy town. Parents got divorced when I was probably three, four years old, but I was part of a military family before, you know, before the divorce. My dad was a Vietnam vet. And like when he came home, they couldn't work it out. And so my mom always was like, he was never the same after the war. Micah, what I like to do is I like to speak about, I like to get into your journey, which in doing some research, um, it's a lot of stuff, man. It's a long journey. It's a it is a long journey, it's, man. It's a movie. We're going to eventually do a movie. I, you know what? I, I'm not arguing. What part? What part do you want to go on? The show is not long enough, Joe. Well, the show is definitely not long enough, but I want to touch on one. You're the first in your family to go to college. Usually that's a good story, but let alone you spent time in, in a federal prison for a real estate situation, conspiracy. Real estate, real estate conspiracy and money laundering. Yeah. Uh, yep. My debt to society. So. Is what it is. Got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I got with my hand in cookie jar. So, uh, yeah, I was the first person in my family. Actually, I was the first person in my family to graduate high school, you know, small family. So, um, but I grew up, you know, it was just me and moms. Um, and after they separated, you know, I didn't have, I kind of lost contact, kind of lost contact with my dad. And uh, it was just me and moms and, you know, the, the guys in the neighborhood. And I kind of grew up in the neighborhood where guys were, you know, a lot of hustlers, there was a lot of hustlers around there. I don't got shit called. There was a lot of hustlers around there. And I was always attracted to the fast life. So I like the fancy cars. I like the, you know, I like the fancy cars and fancy girls. And so um, I was out in the streets early. And even though I did good in school, I always, you know, I always like knew that I wanted, I like nice things, you know what I mean? So I come from a mom that like, she worked like minimum wage jobs, take care of me by herself. But I wanted to have all of the new, you know, I wanted to have the newest stuff. And then, you know, we started like, you know, it was, Kind of got hard. We started getting evicted. And so I just got into situations where I, I uh, would find myself, I would get in a little bit of trouble. So I got in trouble the first time. Uh, and this is not actually on there uh, on my bio. But the first time I got in trouble, um, it was a, a, a t I had an attempted murder charge. And uh, I had got into got into it with some guys and little things like that. But once I was in jail, I was like, if I get out of jail, I'm gonna go to school, get my life right, right. And sometimes you don't get it right the first time. So I get out of school, and I mean, I get out of jail, and I decide to apply to school, and I end up going to Morehouse College in Atlanta. And so, called Turkey, straight and narrow. Um, you know, I had put some money up. I put some money up, but what happened was I had saw, had saw the movie Trading Places and Wall Street sparked my interest in legal money. You know, because in the in my neighborhood, it was like you know a lot of drug dealers around there. Only ones who really had money there was, there the only ones that I really saw having money were the drug dealers. And so, I didn't have any uh, male guidance around there were no male role models because like me and all of my friends mostly like everybody's moms and dads had separated so it was like my circle and that's what you know i talk a lot about like the circle that you're around like it's like you know both of both of my best friends fathers got killed wow and well they got killed and they got killed in situations because they were violent and so they got killed in connection with beating their mom and so it's like you know it'd be like you know it wasn't until later on in life that i realized like you know that's that's kind of more than a co coincidence that all three of our fathers were abusive and so that and, and both of their fathers got killed and then of course we all end up doing time at different times and so i go to college and at first you know i i didn't know anybody who had went to college I didn't know anybody who actually had went to college unless they were going to college like to play ball and I didn't have a relationship. So I didn't know what to expect at all in college. But I was like, you know, I know I want to I want a better life. I want to get out of the street life. So I go to college and it starts off cool. It starts off cool. But then I run out of money. And so 
it's like, uh, you know, old habits of, well, I really only know one way to get money, but I'm struggling. And like I did every, I delivered pizza. I had to tell them, I had to tell a marketing job. So I go through the struggle and uh, I make it through, make it through. I graduate in four years, graduated in four years. I was on the Dean's list a couple of times. I was actually one of the top guys in the finance department. But I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in the liberal arts stuff. It was a great experience, right? But I did not, I graduated in a recession. And so there were not a lot of job opportunities. And so the first job that I took, that, that I actually interviewed with, I interviewed with Goldman Sachs, which was my dream job. And so it was like, life can be. And, and that's kind of where my journey went, because life could be so different. It's like, OK, what happens to your life if you get hired at Goldman Sachs? Right. Then I probably never do some of the things that that I did. But I didn't get the Goldman job. And not only did I not get Goldman, I, I interviewed with Goldman and the Federal Reserve, um, made it to the second and third round interviews with both of them. Flew into New York. My first time in New York. First time I ever went to New York was an interview with Goldman Sachs. So I end up taking a job as a stockbroker, which sounded great because I love the movie, Wall Street, Bud Fox, but you know, you I'm younger when I'm watching it. And so you only understand so much. So I'm so excited, passed the test my first time, score the highest in my class, and then get there and hit the wall. I could not sell for, I mean, I don't wanna cuss on it, I could not sell for poop, right? Terrible salesman. So. I didn't know how to sell, so I'm not making any money. And you know, they want you to call. I didn't know anybody with any money. I didn't have any uncles or aunties or any or grandparents that had any money to get any accounts open. So I struggled as a broker, and and uh, I already had a kid, and so I had had a kid. And you know, kids can't eat promises, and so um, my daughter's mom had already like remarried and they were and her husband was a professional baseball player so they were trying to move me out the picture and she was like they were like just let her just just change let us have her and give up your parental rights and then but i grew up without a dad and i was like Maybe i can't have my daughter so again it was one of those one of those uh times where it was a, a decision had to be made and so then it was back to the street life. Wow. Okay. And so, so, and then how, how did you get to the situation? So you went back to the street life. So you're in college. What led to that three years you served in federal prison, the real estate conspiracy? What happened there? Okay. So I'm back in the street life, but I'm, I'm now I have a lot of business sense and I understand finance and I understand real estate. And so I started investing in real estate. And so I moved to Vegas and I started buying houses, but I didn't have a job. So I had to come up with when you go to when you go to get a loan for a house, you gotta have W-2s, written tax statements. I hadn't paid taxes. I, I hadn't had taxes yet. You gotta have pay stuff. So I had to got a hold of the tax, the pay stubs and the uh, W-2s. 
And because I had pay stubs and W-2s to qualify for my loans to get the houses. I, and I, I, you know, to me, it was just criminal activity. To me, I did not realize that that was a federal crime. I did not, I did not know. And a lot of people, and for your listeners, they need to know, because I think a lot of people, sometimes they want to qualify for the car, they qualify, qualify for the house, and they need to make a little bit more money so that their debt to income ratio equals out. Mm-hmm. If you put any lies down on that form, that's a federal crime. Then when they turn the form, they have to send it in to their, they have to send it in to, uh, to the headquarters. That's mail fraud. So now you got fraud and mail fraud just from fudging the numbers on your application. Mm-hmm. And so after I was out here making some pretty good real estate investments and made, I made some real money. I had friends that were like, well, how'd you get the house? Again, in my brain, I was so like, what's the word to use? It's like almost like a sociopath, like you don't even realize you're committing a crime. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a friend of mine and, and you're like, oh, well, I need pay stubs and, and W-2 forms. I made pay stubs and W-2 forms for my friends. Now, two people engaging in a crime together, there you get your conspiracy. Wow. So then you spend. You, so how'd you get caught? How, how'd they find you? Um, you know, I always want, you know, that part, you always wonder, we, we, we try to figure out where the mold was or where the leak was, but it was probably, you know, just too many, too many fancy cars. And we had two theories. So the first, my first theory is I had, um, cause I had, my house in an alias at first and i had an alias because even before that so my first daughter before she was born there was another daughter that was in question right and i knew it wasn't my kid and i said it wasn't my kid so we tried i go down to the county they charge me they're charging me child support for for the child and I'm getting, I'm trying to get it worked out where we can get, let's get the paternity test. It wasn't like today where you can get DNA. Cause now we're talking, you know, now we're talking back in, you know, early 2000, maybe late nineties, early 2000. And so I go down to the County a couple of times. Cause the, when I applied for my first house, they said, you have child support on here. I was like, I don't have child support on here. I don't pay my child support. I, so I call and she was like, it's not me. So I go through some research. And I find out a girl that I, you know, didn't even really remember, remember or have a relationship like that says that her kid is mine. And I'm like, we've been with you one time. I know it only takes one time, but I'm like, I was with you like one time, right? And I'm like, you know, but, you know, I was running, I was having a good time. I was, you know, I was enjoying my youth. So I'm like, you know, and it's that, but I was like, you know, so I go see the kid. And I was like, that kid looks exactly like AD. That's not my kid. Right. So I'm like, he's not my kid. And so I don't worry about it anymore until I want to buy a house. And when they run your when they run your credit report, if you haven't paid your child support, it comes on there. So now I'm trying to get the house cleared. I'm trying to get qualified for my house. And I got this child support thing on me. So I come up with this, I come up with this brilliant idea to get a fake ID. So I get a fake ID and a whole different persona. And so 
I build the credit, I build the credit profile up in my alias. And so I'm living as my alias for, I guess, like, I don't know, probably like five years. Wow. And so, yeah, so I'm living under my alias as like five years. And um, it turns out, because there was a book, and it's so funny, you guys, you have, the audience has to be careful. Like, you know, you don't, you have to understand that everything that's in a book is not good for you. And it was in one of these, I think it was like, I don't know if it was the anarchist cookbook or one like this, but your listeners should not, don't read that book. Don't, don't get that book. But anyway, in the book, it talks about how to create a second social security number. So what I did was I took my daughter's birthday and my birthday and I created a second social, I created a new social security number. And then I got an ID had the social security number i start buying now i got clean credit and i start building the credit and then I'm buying houses so i should put that part first so i'm buying houses and i buy i don't know maybe i don't know three maybe five, three to five houses i do a couple of fix and flippers and i'm thinking it's not going to be any problem so later on that social security number that i created by transcribed by taking the birthdays end up being somebody's real social security number oh and so even though the name didn't match i was using the social security number and i guess like over the time like it must have been a kid and then as he grew up and he got old enough to uh start trying to use his social security number the conflict came and i think that's where the uh i think that's where the red flag came up Wow, what a journey. The one thing I find so remarkable, it's easy to slip up, it's easy to make mistakes, but when you went to prison, you basically studied financial education, option trading, and you created financial strategies that when you came out, totally changed the way you ran your life. Could you speak to that? Okay, um, so to be fair, I already have been a broker. Like I said, my favorite move, two of my favorite movies in life were Trading Places and, and Wall Street. And I already had a finance degree. And so I knew that prison wasn't going to be forever. And, you know, like once you get over to feeling sorry for yourself and why me and all of those, you got to have a plan. Because I've seen so many people, like literally everybody like, Everybody that I grew up with has been to prison. You know what I mean? Everybody in my neighborhood has been to prison. But then I had saw a whole different life when I went to Morehouse. I saw, you know, and I can speak to it. Like, I saw a different kind of Black person when I went to Morehouse. And so I knew then, like, nah, there's, there's a whole other type that doesn't just do the regular, like, work at fast food or, you know, um, you know, blue collar, blue collar jobs. Like, cause I knew I didn't want to do the blue collar jobs. And so I wanted to do something where I could use, use my brain and something I knew. I didn't know the word scalable at the time, but I knew I wanted to do something scalable. Mm -hmm. And I was, like I said, I was always fascinated and I, I knew I was in my heart. I knew I was better than God. Mm -hmm. So that part, you know, my ego was always like, they, you can do it. They, they made how much you, you, you know, you could do it. So, um, 
when I went to prison, I actually were with like the story goes, I had I had a day trading company. When they came to arrest me, I had already sold my houses to by enough time had passed. I went and got the blood test or the DNA test kid ends up not being mine. So now I established my own credit and I actually, and this is the exciting part of me, I actually sold my house to myself. So I sold my house up from my alias to me. Dang. Did you need a realtor? Do you need a realtor to sell to yourself? Well, my realtor was actually my co-defendant. And so she was one of the co-defendants. And it could that's the second theory. That's a movie, dude. Because she understood in the way it went, and you know, so the realtor, my realtor, was actually one of our one of the people in the conspiracy, and so me and all my boys, have, like, were using her as the realtor. So it could have been, it was either my social security number or her selling houses to so many street dudes. Right. So, so we, <laughs> that's an awesome signing table. So you, your alias, you switch sides of the table <laughs> when your alias signs it over to you. And then your realtor, you said it's a co-conspirator. That's right. We got to make a movie. Let's go. This is a Netflix show, man. Let's do it. So, this is 10 episodes. Easy. So, so yeah, like, nah, it was, it was crazy, right? But in the meantime, I yeah. always, so I'm, I'm a stock and real estate guy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always like, and, and, and I'm a serial entrepreneur anyway. Like I started, mm -hmm. you know, I had a paper route when yep. I was a kid and, you know, tried all the different, you know, I was like the paper route guy. And so I had, I had saw where I was like, I know I'm not going to be in these streets forever. Mm -hmm. And so real estate, I was like, I, I, I had got a really good understanding of real estate and then I already knew stocks. And so I was like, I'm going to build it with, I'm going to build my empire with stocks and real estate and sometimes real estate stocks. So I, cause I, I really, I think a lot of people don't understand that stocks are really just businesses. I don't think they make the connection that is just equity in a business. And so you got an opportunity to buy the best businesses in the world. Because everybody, you know, our mindset is usually like either you, you, you work at a job and you get and you have a boss or you start a little individual business on your own. So I never liked having a boss. So I went to, with starting my own business. So mm -hmm. I actually I actually had went to uh, a couple of they had a, a thing here called the money show. And I went to the money show first. And so as I went to the money show. And there were people in there talking about day trading, about uh, precious metals, and about options. And so I'm looking for diversification, and I get the spark. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to build. Because I always looked at Warren Buffett. I had read the Benjamin Graham book back in, back in or Peter Lynch, Benjamin Graham, one of those I read yeah. those I did a report on. So the intelligent investor, Benjamin Graham, right? The intelligent yeah. investor. That's a Warren Buffett. That's the book that he said was his best investment ever. He read that book and taught him how to be Warren Buffett. Right. And so, well, he also, you know, this is a thing, right? And we'll get to this later, but I always say like, I'll ask you this. Do you, why do you think Warren Buffett is the best, the best, uh, investor of all time or the gold investor 
I think one of the things I keep hearing in the articles I read about him, he only invests in things he understands. And mm. that's one of the things he, he doesn't like, I remember back in the, the tech boom back like 20 years ago when the, all the dot coms went up and crashed and he wasn't in the dot com at its peak. And he spoke at Penn university of Penn here in Philly. And the, the article was, has Warren Buffett like, is he on his way out? This is like in 2002 or something. And right before the boom, they're like, this old guy's not in the tech boom and he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a dinosaur. And he's like, I don't understand why these prices are so high because these got companies aren't making money. They should be bankrupt. They laughed at him. Then like two years later, like 90% of those companies were disappeared. <laughs> they were all bankrupt and he, and he was still a billionaire. Like he just like, it was a crazy moment in time and I'm not getting involved with it. Right. So anyway, I think one of them, I guess the short answer is from what I see, one of the reasons is he only invests in things he understands. Like he, he touches and feels Coke, McDonald's, Home Depot, that kind of stuff. What, what do you say? Um, that has a lot to do with his success, but where it really starts at is, and a lot of people don't know this is his dad was a broker his dad was a broker and he started and and where i really believe it starts is he made his first investment when he was 12 years old mm -hmm. and so there's nothing that it's like they said god gives you everything you need except for experience mm -hmm. and so you have to figure his father's a broker he has six years worth of investing experience before he ever leaves his father's house. And then his mentor was Benjamin Graham. Mm -hmm. So he had two great mentors and they started with him early. So it's no different than how like my son is the football player or when we're all out here training our kids to pitch or play quarterback or shoot jump shots, shoot free throws. He was learning how to trade stocks at 12 years old. And so now you're talking about 60 70 years of experience he knows what he knows and he knows where he's good at and so yes what he understands he just made a kill i, I, I think it was a crazy number like 200 million dollars worth dividend payments he got from apple last year because he's like one of the number one shareholders in apple and then he has a so he's now branched over into the tech scene as i end up going to all of these seminars and i picked up day trading and I'd sign up for this day trading course. And then I start going to a day trading office here in Vegas. And I'm in there every day, day trading, and I got really good at it. And it was a young guy who owned it. And his girl had, he, he was out here from Florida and his girl had cheated on him. And so, you know, I kind of got like, you know, so, you know, he was kind of like, he was like, he he didn't he lived around the corner from me so i was like man don't worry about that girl and i took him out a little bit you know took him around because he wasn't from here so he took him out to vegas and he was like i want to go home man i'm just i was like man don't worry about the girl but he couldn't you know he was just i was like you gotta let her go don't chase her bro replace her but he was like you know he was so heartbroken about it i ended up uh like you want to leave you and and i bought i ended up buying the uh day trading business from him. really okay yeah yeah so when i got arrested i already owned a day trading i already owned a day trading business when i had you know i already had it with like you know probably uh, i think we had 20 desks with traders in there and we were already in there going so now what 
there's a huge difference between what you see on television and uh, what happens in real life when we talk about prison and the way things go. Like, you don't want problems with the feds. It is completely different because you, you don't get that. You know, everybody's like, where's my phone call? And da, 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 da. Like, you don't get a phone call with the feds. You don't get, because I'm thinking when they arrested me, I'll be honest with you. Like I said, I, you know, I got a trading business, got a couple of dollars, got properties. And I, I'll never forget it because it was like, you know, I'm like, I'm in the shower. You know, I got to get up and be at the office to let my traders in and to trade. And so, you know, I'm up every morning, 430, 5 o'clock to get to the office. So I'm in the shower one morning. I'm in the shower one morning and I hear. And like, who is knocking on my door like this? And, you know, so I get out of the shower. I got a towel on. I got a towel on me. I go out on my balcony. There's a balcony in the front, the front balcony. And when I open the door, I see a bunch of AR-15s pointed at me. And this guy's in like Whoa. fatigues and camouflage. And hey, don't you move? I'm like, I have no idea. Again, I don't know that I've committed a crime yet. So I have wow. no idea what, but I had, I have no idea. So now I'm thinking like in my head, because one, one of my, one of my, I guess I, I had a record label. I had a record label before too. And so I got the day trading company record label. I'm trying to end doing real estate. So I'm touching all the bases. So one of my artists was on the run for a murder. I'm thinking maybe they think he's here. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so oblivious. Like I said, it's such a different kind of social path. And like, why? I'm thinking they must be here looking for him. They're not looking for you. Right? They're looking for somebody else, right? Somebody, they're looking for somebody. It can't be me. Yeah, <laughs> it can't be me. They're looking for somebody else, right? So they're like, is somebody else here? And I was like, yeah, uh, you know, my girlfriend here or something, you know. And they're like, well, have her come, have her come, open the door. You don't move. Um, she, she hears all of the ruckus now. I'm like, go downstairs because I just we had just had a kid, so I had my uh, my son that we were talking about earlier. He's he's a toddler. He's like maybe four or five at the time. Um, he he was in preschool still. He's in preschool, but I had just had a kid. My second son, so I got three boys. So my second son is only four or five weeks old. It's not he he might have just made a month. You know, I don't remember the day, but he might have just made a mom. So now the baby is crying. She's in there. And I'm like, relax. They're not like, they're not here for me. This is a big misunderstanding. It's not going to be a problem with. So they come in and they, they put the handcuffs on me, but then they say you can get dressed and they go through this whole deal. They haven't shown me. They don't show you any paperwork. They don't do you. They don't give you anything. Right. So the whole time I'm thinking, okay. They're looking for, you know, they're looking for him and they're just trying to scare me. Right. So I'm like coming down the stair. I'm coming down my stair. I had like, you know, my house has like the stairway, like the Scarface stairway. So I'm coming down the stairways and now I decide to be really cool. I'm like, don't worry. I'll be home before dinner. Make sure everything is cool. So they take me in the car and they're like, they're like, um, all right, we're going to give you one chance to talk. And I go. And he says, fine. I do my lips like that. He says, fine. So they take me. And I was in a van 
so I can't, and, and, the, and the, the windows are blacked out, so I can't have no idea where I'm going, can't see where I'm going. Now I'm starting to get a little bit worried because I've, you know, you've seen stuff like this. I'm saying this is the stuff that, like I said, they don't show you on TV. Like I have no idea where they take me. I can hear us going down into like a garage. And when they let me out the car, I see, I'm like in a parking structure, an underground, I'm in an underground parking structure with an elevator. The elevator takes me up. They take me and they put me in a room and there's no windows. And I still, no one's talk. Nobody's talking to me. Nobody has talked to me. Nobody's told me my charges. I haven't even got to ask about a phone call. Cause now, so now I'm sitting in this room. You know, I'm just sitting in a room with just a toilet and a room for I don't know for hours. Like you know, now the day goes by or whatever. You know, I'm ending out finally going to sleep, and they slide some papers under the door. And then that's when I see the indictment. And I'm like, this is what? And I'm, look, and I'm looking at all of these charges. And I'm looking at everything. And literally 30 minutes later, they come grab me and throw me into court. So I never got to call a lawyer, never got to talk to my girl, never got to talk to anybody. The first time we see anything right now, I'm in a and so they rush. It's like they, they purposely make it where you can't have any contact and, and, and do anything. So now I know, you know, now I'm now I was discombobulated, but now I I'm starting to get a hit. I'm like, well, I don't have any idea how serious this is because I haven't talked to a lawyer or anything yet. Right. So I'm still thinking like this all looks like misdemeanor type stuff to me. Because I've never, let me qualify that with I've never had missed a payment. You know, these were my real houses. I have bought my mom a house. I bought oh, my mom to Vegas and bought her house. And so I'm thinking this is all going to be like easily worked out, right? Everybody's getting paid. At, at this point, everything is in my real name. There's no reason for, there's no reason for it to be any problem. So <clears throat> I'm starting, as I start now getting my phone calls and go, and they did. So they didn't give me bail. And that was the part that shocked me. That's why that's where I said all of that to say when you're when you're in the feds, they don't have to give you bail. I had just came back from Spain. I had just came back from uh, uh, going to Spain like a couple of weeks earlier. And so they were like, he had a fake name. He had an alias and he travels out of the country. He's a flight risk. So don't give him bail. Mm -hmm. And so I had. What I thought was a little charge ended up being no bail charge. And so now I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in here until I go to court. And I had had friends that went, but they had never explained it to me. But I knew that you could be in the feds for two, three years before you ever go to court. Wow. And so, yeah, a lot of people don't know that part either. Once they got you in there, they build their work on building the case and they want you to break. And, you know, they, most people plead, which I end up playing, you know, most people like after a while, if you're looking at four years and they come to you, they come to you after you did two years and they be like, look, you can get out in six months if you just admit you're guilty, which is basically what they did. And so but as I was sitting in there, I was like, all right, I'm going to be sitting in here for a minute. I got to figure out my plan. And mm -hmm. I had, so at the time, I got a portfolio full of stocks. 
and I got, I don't know, maybe four or five properties and some land. Okay. And so, <laughs> so the, I had sent my son's mom to real estate school. And so she had became, cause I, me and my bro, I had, I had, the broker was taking too much of a cut. My realtor was taking too much of a cut. So I sent, I sent, uh, Wiki to get her real estate license. Okay. So she actually, because when she actually had begun, start being like, she actually was the top five, was the top five realtor, like in her first, like six months, but she ended up being on my case too. I had the pro I, I'm, I'm watching and I'm like, well, all of the houses at the time, because it, it 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 was planned like the Fed. Like you're not anybody who thinks like they're doing something. The Feds don't know. The Feds know everything. The Feds know everything. They just are waiting until it's time. They almost play a little game. They're just waiting until it's time to come get you. So I had. We were out for the award. We were out for the uh, award banquet for the top agents a couple of weeks before that. And I'm listening to the agents in the car and you're in, where you at? In, you're in Pennsylvania. I don't know what Philly's market was doing at that time, but I know it ends up going everywhere, but Vegas's market is going crazy. And tech is taking off. So you mentioned Warren Buffett and the tech is taking off. So I got some nice profits in my portfolio and all of my properties are all of my properties have like some nice amount of equity in them. And we were at the banquet and I'm listening and it was, it's funny now you revisit, like I forgot all about this, but so Michael Jackson, you know, you guys remember Michael Jackson, right? Michael Jackson had came to Vegas and he was looking at high rises and they had started building all these high, high rises on the strip. And all of the agents, I'm in like, I'm in the limo with like the top, with you know, the top five, like agent winners, you know, like all the couples are in there together because they're all getting their awards. And they all are just like so excited about these high rises, right? And I said, how many Michael J, I was like, wait a minute, they, how much they gonna get? I'm like, and it's like, you know, they're all like a million dollars. I was like, how many high rises does Vegas need? How many high rises Michael Jackson need? And I'm like, everybody don't make Michael Jackson money. So it dawns on me then, and they're so overzealous, it dawns on me then that the real estate market is overheated. And up until that point, I didn't look at real estate like stocks. And I did not realize that real estate moved with the stock market as close as it does. And you'll be part of your listeners and people who will listen I always say, like, you know, like it's a saying that we're wired for success, but programmed for failure. Mm -hmm. And the way we were all taught prior to the housing crash was real estate only goes up. So everybody, there's no such thing at, at the time. There was no such thing in especially new investors mind as two. Mm -hmm. There was no such thing as overpriced. But I had realized that the market was overpriced in December of 2000, December of 2006, sitting there with them agents. And it was really probably being partly, partially a hater. 
because I wanted to buy one of the high rises and then I saw the price of it and I was like, it's, too, it's just too high. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who's going to, who? And like I said, I had a lot of experience with debt income ratios. So I was like, who qualifies for these houses, especially at these interest rates? Because interest rates had gone up so high. A question for you. So you come out of prison. You have all this experience before you go in. You learn more. Mm-hmm. You kind of get your head together. You kind of devise sort of a plan of what you learn. You come up with a strategy. You come out. So you have that benefit yeah. of, of your experience. So let, let's go to the kids in school today, the high school kids. Financial literacy. Why isn't it taught in schools? And what do you think should be taught? Like, what should be, from your perspective, what's missing from the school system? Like, if you were going to teach a ninth to 10th grader, uh, like, one, financial literacy, why isn't it taught? What do you think the average student needs when they graduate high school? What do they need to know? It's not taught in schools because we're not ready. And everybody wants to shift the blame over to the teacher. They, They have they already have enough stuff in school that they're trying to give them the, they're trying to give the kids the basics. I believe it's something that's supposed to be taught in home, taught in the home, not the school. My daughter's mom is a high school teacher and it's like, they have enough time keeping, keeping the uh, kids attention. And we had this discussion. And one of the things that made sense is like, you haven't paid bills yet when you're in high school. Mm-hmm. So even though you're trying to teach high, teach a high school student something, the first thing, because especially when we're in high school, the first thing everybody's like, when am I going to use this? When am I, everybody complains that they have to, they're complaining about the classes that they already have to take, right? I don't think it's a certain age. I think it's something that you got to teach your kid. You, the best way is for you to give your kid some money in a checking account. So I would say 12, 13 years old, and you have to teach them that number one, it's not what you make, it's how much you keep. That's the first thing you have to understand. Number two, every dollar has opportunity cost. So when, when, when you spend a dollar on a pair of sneakers or on a video game, you're not just losing the dollar that you spent on that video game. You're losing the money that you could make if you had invested that money into something. Mm-hmm. So you got to try to, you got to kind of almost you know, you got to try to kind of almost trick them into buying something that goes up in value so they understand. But again, we're taught, like I said, we've been, we, we, we've been trained to be consumers. And so what you have to do is, and, and for your listeners, is we have to rewire our kids and help them transform from consumers to investors. Like Robert Kiyosaki talks about the uh, cash flow quadrant where mm-hmm. he says you have on the left side of the quadrant, you have employees and then the self-employed. And then on the right side, you have business owners and then investors with investors being the highest level where you go. Our kids have to understand that how important it is for them to get from being an employee to an investor if they ever want to be financially free. Mm-hmm. But they also have to understand they transfer information faster than anybody. So they know about the best investments before we ever do, because, you know, kids are in bigger social circles than adults are in general. You know, they go to school, you might go to a school, you see 
500 people a day or 1,000 people a day, depending on how big your school is. You know, I don't see that many people in a day. You don't see that many people mm-hmm. in a day when you go to work with people. Yep. So, and especially from so many different backgrounds. So you get an idea, like I always use, like my little son, so adorable, Lil Rome. Lil Rome is like, his mom wants him to be cool and, and like the Jordan shoes, right? The Jordan shoes are hot. So we put the Jordan shoes on him. He's six years old. He don't care about Jordan shoes. He wants these other shoes that me and his mother think are hideous, right? But we're worried about what our friends think. We're worried about what our friends think and what we think is cool. We're older. What we think is cool is not cool. What him and his friends, you think you're sending your kid to school with Jordans on, he's going to be the coolest kid in school. The coolest kid in school got the Crocs on. Mm -hmm. And he knows this. But adults think that the shoes are ugly, mm-hmm. right? You go look and see what Crocs price has done over the last two, three years. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, wow. Not only am I trying to make my kid dress like an old man, I'm also missing out on a terrible investment. He got on shoes for somebody who retired 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Calling Phil Jackson, paging Phil Jackson. One of the things in your bio, but thanks for sharing that. Let's talk about the racial and gender wealth gaps. How do you think, I know you, I see that you're on a mission to help close the racial and gender wealth gaps. One, how big are the gaps in today's world and how do you close them? The gaps are huge, um, especially for black people and then especially black women. And it leads to a lot of other problems, right? I don't think any other uh, ethnicity ethnicity has as many problems with each other and attacking each other. It's embarrassing actually when you see it on like social media or whatever. Um, the average in the numbers, I think, um, I, I, I don't have the numbers right now, I'd rather pull them up, but it is the average single, well, first of all, 70% of black children are raised in single parent households, which is a huge problem. Um, and then they're also raised in Native Americans, which we, you know, we forget about all the time, but Native Americans and African Americans uh, by far make, you know, way less income and have a way lower net worth than anybody else. And, you know, I'm not here to argue about it being systematic. I'm more of a person who focuses on solution and instead of problem. Like, I don't want to talk about problems. I want to talk about solution, right? So the first thing is we have to be, we have to become financially literate and understand how money works. And we have to understand that you have to use money to make money. And you have to understand, like I said before, that every dollar has opportunity cost. And it's never been easier than it is today to get involved in investing. You know, a lot of the hurdles that were there before um, with regard to getting information, with the cost of investing, a lot of those hurdles have been removed. Like they used to be 
you know, you had to buy a hundred share lots and they called it, or it was an odd lot. And you had to buy. Now you can invest dollar wise. So you can start investing with every, you can put away some money every week mm-hmm. just to, to get started and get an understanding and pay attention to the actual return on investing, mm-hmm. right? Return on investment. Cause even if it's a hundred bucks and you grow that hundred bucks into you know, 200 bucks, that's a hundred percent return. And it might only seem like a hundred dollars and be small to seem insignificant and small, but at least you now have gotten the feeling and you understand the principle and you're not being taken advantage of. Cause it's almost like we get so excited about, we get so excited because we're being, we're constantly being sold mm-hmm. that when a product comes out, we see the product and we're always wanting, we, you know, we want to be the first to get it instead of thinking about like, man, how can I make some money off of this? Mm-hmm. So you see, like I say, I go back to the Jordan analogy and Nike is one of my favorite companies of all time. Um, it's an all time great company, right? It's lasted this long and mm-hmm. they've been involved in so many things, but you, you see people standing outside to buy the product. Mm-hmm. You see the lines in Starbucks every day, you know, around the corner every day to buy the product. But people are standing in line to be investors in these companies. Mm-hmm. At least not, not my people. And so I, I got a little saying, I always say, if you got more, if you got more Nike shoes than Nike shares, you're doing it wrong. Wow. If you got more Nike shoes than Nike shares, you're doing it wrong. That's pretty powerful. And three other things you said I wrote down that I thought were pretty poignant. One, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Found that that is so spot on. And then every dollar has an opportunity cost. For every dollar you spent doing X, you could do Y and it could provide so much better value long-term doing something else. Then last, we have to kind of switch our kids' mindset from being consumers to investors and then lastly you said you if you have more nike shoes than shares you're doing it wrong that's pretty cool want to switch over to a point in the interview we call share your secrets so our inter- listeners can get to get to know you a little bit more as a person what advice would you have for maybe someone either just graduating school or maybe just trying to get their financial life in order maybe after some setbacks or maybe they know they're doing it wrong and they're not in a good spot what do you think are some good first steps for people that, you know, I, I'm going to be financial independent someday. What are the first step or two I need to take? What, what would you share with them? For a young person, I would tell them, and it's hard. I know it's hard when you're young. I, I, I said the same advice because I got a son in college right now. And I'll tell them, focus on you first. The females will be there later. The, the females will come, <laughs> the females will come, but there will be a huge for women or, you know, for male or females, like it can be a huge distraction for you when you're just trying to get yourself together. And, um, you're just making, you know, it, you probably don't want to hear this, but you're making your life harder. Like, but when, when you haven't established, you haven't established your careers. Yeah, you haven't established what you want, but you don't even know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would say first is focus on you and, and your happiness 
instead of trying to make somebody happy because so many uh, so many people um go through their 20s focused on trying to make somebody else happy mm -hmm. so that's the first thing and second and i swear by this principle it's hard to budget because there's always more things that you want to buy than money you have when you're starting out and you have a little bit of money yep. so instead of trying to budget what i would say is get you, make it automatic have them pay yours it's an old saying of pay yourself first yep. have the money because when you try to tell people to live off of less than they make or live below your means like no have the money automatically have 10 20 percent you know have something automatically deducted from your paycheck and put in a separate account so that you can get started investing early and then consistently consistently make investments so that you get used to it because what what happens so often is people are like if i had to go back and talk to my 20 year old self i'd be like well a lot of stuff i say but procrastinating uh, I'll do it when I get this. After I get this, I'll do this. After this, I'll do that. And um, especially with guys, right? We like car. So most guys I know spend their first first piece of money on car on a car. So I say, don't buy a car. Buy you some stocks, or buy you some real estate, and then let that pay for the car. Mm -hmm. Because the car, listen, everything you buy is going to do one of two one of three and, and i teach the stock market the same way anytime you buy something it either goes up in value down in value or the value stays about the same mm -hmm. i can guarantee you nine out of ten cars you're going to buy and especially the car you're going to buy in your 20s mm -hmm. is going to go down in value yeah and you know people will like, yeah you got to have transportation uber and truck public transportation has never been as easy and accessible as it is now mm -hmm. don't buy that car i know i've spent i've spent so much money on cars it's embarrassing and so i would say no girls no cars okay and then automatic deduction to pay yourself first yeah so basically focus on yourself do a budget automatic the deductions to go into some sort of stock fund or money market fund or some investment and then from there don't procrastinate do it now and then lastly the danger if you're a guy stay away from the cars because the cars go down and you buy them and they just anything with a motor goes down in value listen, listen cars and girls are going to be the big <laughs> cars and girls are going to be the biggest thing you know there's gonna be how long you married you married oh yeah 20 years Am I wrong? like we don't we don't realize it. it's like an it's an invisible it's an invisible necessity but cars and girls are going to just make uh your journey to wealth like it's, it's going to make you go the long way especially yeah. guys that try to date more than one girl at a time you know those all those dinners all those dinners and and stuff and dating multiple girls and stuff like that is going to set you back years uh, here's two questions some perspective questions one as you look out to the year ahead uh, what's the most exciting project uh mike you're working on now i'm working on on rich on my risk forever university program i got a a, a program that i call everybody eats and everybody so eats okay teaching 
everybody eats. And so what it teaches you is how to use, how to leverage the power of options to create multiple streams of income, uh, maximize your profit, win more trades, but most importantly, minimize your risk. So you get to take what what I love about it. We ain't go. What I love about options and now options have become popular. But I'm I, in prison. I taught myself how to trade options. When we start, uh, the cool thing about options is you can make money when the market goes down, and you can transform a small amount of money into an actual significant amount of money, and it gives you a chance to really get your feet wet. So I'm working on um, a couple of different courses under my Rich Forever University with options. Why I got into options? Because, you know what I mean? I started seeing the market bloated and it was like, I basically felt like I was being held prisoner. And I still have the notes. Like when I was calling home, I have my notebooks that I used to keep when I was in prison. And I was like, oh, the prices are going. And I was like, God damn it, I can't do that. I was like, and I was like, if I could short the housing market right now, because what happened was, the feds froze, they froze my properties. So they put a lien on all of the property so they wouldn't allow me to sell it. So when, when I was arrested, my house was worth $1.1 million. When I got out of prison, the value had dropped and I had you know a couple of hundred thousand in equity in it. When I got out of prison, my house was worth $600,000 and I was underwater 200 grand. Wow. So I'm sitting in there, and so that's what really sparked the journey towards options because I was sitting in it and I didn't know if they knew about my portfolio and my retirement funds. So I didn't want to talk about it on the phone. So I couldn't tell anybody where the money was and to tell them to short anything or to tell them to buy options or anything. So I'm basically watching the market just boil over in real estate and stocks for three years. And like I said, I had saw it coming the December before that. And so basically like the main focus is options and um, it's gonna be an opportunity for complete beginners to be able to come in, learn how to trade options the right way to generate multiple streams of income and build wealth. And so mm-hmm. you get started with a little bit of money and kind of like learn the ABCs of it and then move on to where it becomes more advanced. But it creates a situation where once you learn how to trade options, you never have to worry about making money again. You don't have to be like I was in jail. Like I knew the housing market was crashing. I knew the stock market was crashing and there was nothing I could do about it. I didn't know. I didn't. And and so that's how I got on the journey. And if I had known then, like it's like, as you go, we talk back to you, I was like, oh, no, I would have just bought. 2008, I would have just started buying put on the Q's and the S&P's mm-hmm. and load it up. And I would have been able to come home and be like Mike Berry. How about just one thing about options? A little research I've done, the 90% of options expire with zero value. What would you say if someone said that? Like, hey, why would I trade options if 90% of them expire worthless? What would you say to that? Well, I'm, well, I'm going to ask you a question then. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Well, first, that's a myth. Okay. That's a myth, person. If it were true, if 90% of options expire worthless, won't you just sell options so you can win 90% of your trades? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But I teach you how to sell options too. 
I teach you how to sell and buy. There's a time you should be buying options. There's a time you be, should be selling options. Okay. That is, uh, there's no data to back that up, but it doesn't even make sense when, okay. people, when you think about it because an option has a buyer and a seller Yep. on every option, right? Yeah. So, and then, okay, so not to go too deep, but there's three, there, there's a thing called, we call moneyness, right? Mm -hmm. So every option at any given time is either at the money, in the money, or out of the money. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of options that are in the money. So an in the money option can expire worthless because it's in the money. You understand what I'm saying? Understood. And so if we looked at a table right now, we would see literally, like if we go back and use the Nike, and now if we go back and look at Nike, we're going to see uh a third of the a third of the nike options are going to be in the money and so now options go from one week to two years out all the way out to two years so they can expire worthless if they're in the money and you have options that are deep deep in the money mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense. So I don't know who started that rover, but people always say that. And it's one of those things where it's like, it doesn't even make logical sense, but it's one of those legend, urban legends that people say all the time. Thanks for sharing that. How about this, Micah? If you could have everyone listening take just one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? That lesson would be, you have to accept responsibility. You have to accept responsibility for your life, right? You can't blame the system. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame your environment. You can if you want to, but if you want to have any kind of, and, and, and if you want to have any kind of success in life, you have to accept that your life is going to be a product of your decision making, the good ones and the bad ones. Mm -hmm. That's great. No, thank you for sharing that. That's really good. Here's two fun Appreciate ones to wrap things up, Micah. Micah, if you could spend the day with anyone, alive or dead, famous, not famous, who would that person be? My grandma. Yeah. My grandma. Yeah, my grandma, she was, she was, that was my heart. Uh, she died like before, you know, she died when I was like, maybe like 21, 22. Mm -hmm. And so I would have just like to, you know, have a sit down with her and let her see like her grandkids, where she is now. Cause you know, she instilled a lot. She made me see a lot. Yeah. She made me understand that it's not that everything shouldn't be about money right mm -hmm. everything shouldn't be about money and uh i miss her you know she's been gone forever and she was still like the epitome of like you know she was on that pedestal uh yeah i like this and i'll tell you because we friends now and we're talking right so i said i never had a male role model growing up my real grandfather he had a, a what they call a juke joint in louisiana um when she was young and he got stabbed to death he got killed in his juke joint when my mom was like 10 years old so when my grandma she had she ended up getting remarried but 
her husband died when I was a kid, like young know, enough he had cancer or whatever, her husband died. I never saw another guy at my grandma's house for 20 years. And so now when it's like all of this complaining and everybody's out of it, and I was like, you know, and then so my mom, you know, my mom was my, like got married like three, four times and it didn't work out. And then, you know, now she has a husband, but, you know, you look at the way they lived and the way my grandmother carried it and how she was. And, you know, she was a housekeeper, right? And she cleaned, she cleaned rich people's houses and that probably made me see the money too. Mm-hmm. But uh, she never complained about money and she was 100% financially independent. She owned her own home and she supported herself. You know what I mean? And she wasn't a maid for, uh, she, she was, she wasn't for a service. It was her own. That was that. Now that I think about it, she was the first entrepreneur that, uh, that I had came across, even though it was as a maid or a housekeeper, it was her own little maid business and she was the only employee. Wow. And so she was just great. And so they yeah, it would be like, yeah, famous people, there's a lot of famous people out there, but I just love to like, you know, be able to sit down with Grams one more time. She sounds like a remarkable person and that would sound like an awesome day. Thanks for sharing that. that that's great. Last question. You got me teary-eyed over here. Oh, man. It's a good question, man. Grandmoms are great, huh? Crazy. Grandmoms are great. Crazy. Crazy. Michael Bowens, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? <laughs> You know, that's so funny because uh, I got th- the three adult kids. They all got tattoos and I've been to prison and I don't have a tattoo. I don't have any tattoos. And I always like you guys get, you got all oh, you guys, man, what is the symbol? I mean, it's so trendy. So not, I, you know, uh, there's nothing that I would tattoo on my body uh, that I can see. It. Uh, maybe now the Rich Forever logo might get tattooed on here or something, but nah, it's no quote. There's no, no I, I don't think there's, you know what? I do. I got you. This is a good one. Proverbs uh, 22 7. 22 7. Proverbs 22 7. That's what I put on there. Really? I'm going to look that up real quick. 22 7. I, I think yeah. I know what it is, but I don't want to speak out of line. Let me see. Let me see. Proverbs, Proverbs 22. Give me one second. I'm going to Google this. All right. I'm going to read it. Proverbs 22 7. Here we go. It says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Wow. That sounds like Dave Ramsey. You familiar with Dave Ramsey? I'm Dave Ramsey certified. Actually. Are you real? Okay. That's Dave Ramsey coming at you right there, man. The borrower is slave to the lender, right? Dave says yeah. that all the time. Wow. Yeah. That, that is powerful. I think that is about as good as a spot to any to wrap this up. Micah Bowens, it was awesome to speak with you. Thank you for sharing your journey. Just remarkable. I think you got a Netflix Netflix. I think you at least one, <laughs> one 10 episode season from everything you went through. I wish it was at that signing table when your alias was selling you the house with your- No, you know, what's fun, funny is we actually already had a script. We've already had a script submitted to Netflix and talked back and forth, but we didn't get, we, we didn't, like the deal yet, but it is something that actually in the works with 
I don't know if it's gonna be Netflix or not, but because uh, you know my daughter's on TV every day, and so <laughs> it's like you know um, my yeah. daughter's on days. My daughter's on days of our lives. Is she so, really? Wow. Yeah. And so yeah, no, I got some accomplished kids, cool, man. Pretty cool kid. So, uh, yes. That is awesome. You mind telling who she is on Days of Our Lives? You mind saying? She's she, she Chanel on the, the listeners. My daughter Chanel on Days of Our Lives. Is she really? Oh, that is phenomenal. You know, a drug <laughs> <laughs> Not at all like that in real life. Not at all like that. In real life. No trouble. That no is trouble. awesome. Cool. I wish your daughter nothing but success on Days of Our Lives. I'd like to thank you for joining us, man. Thank you for sharing your remarkable journey. I wish you continued success with Rich Forever. If people are looking for you and what you do online, where can we find you? I'm Rich Forever University on, on Instagram, richforeveruniversity.com is my website. Rich Forever U is my Twitter handle. And just Micah Bowens on LinkedIn. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. So uh, this was a, this was a fun interview. Um, took me back, made me think about some things. You you're really good at this. I like it. Oh, dude, that's enough. Thank you so much for saying that, Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Good luck to your son in the portal. Uh, mm -hmm. good luck. Appreciate it. Looks like he's a good, really good quarterback. I uh, hope he finds the right spot for him. And uh, keep in touch. And I appreciate you. Best of luck with everything. All right, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, we have a new newsletter once a week called the Built Not Born blog. I summarize the best ideas, strategies, and tactics of each guest in one quick post that you could read in two minutes or less. Easy to sign up. Easy to cancel. Built Not Born blog. Check it out. Follow. Appreciate you. Talk soon.